Hey, let's start the show. For Thursday, February 16th, 2017. Welcome to This Is Only a Test, the official podcast of Tested.com. Welcome, everyone, to this week's episode. I'm Norm, and if you're watching the video, you will already know that it's a strange week indeed this week. Uh, I'm joined by our one and only guest, Steve Lynn. Thank you very much. Glad to be back. Yeah, I looked through the entire my entire Rolodex, and I said, oh, you know what? I only want Steve on next week. Yeah. Right. yeah. And that's because <laughs> Jeremy and Kishore are both out on vacation today. Uh, Jeremy is, I believe, in Anaheim. He's at uh, Disney Did with you, family. Right. Uh, Kishore, I believe, is in Boston. Um, and you were a guest when I was on vacation, when I was in Florida. Right. Well, you know, scraping the bottom of the barrel. But no, 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 no. There was a, <laughs> Happy to was, come back. Yeah. And uh and when I listened to that episode that you were uh, you were on, mm-hmm. I told Kishore and Jeremy all I wanted to do the entire time was chime in. Oh, right. Was like when when you were talking about your trip to the Japan mm-hmm. and and uh, all your thoughts on the switch. I was like, I I wanted. I wish I was there. So. I have that option this week. Yeah. So basically, we want to talk about what happened three weeks ago uh, and go over the exact same Go back topics. in time, right. Nah, go back in time. Not. No, 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 no. Maybe a little bit not. Um, but um, before we get started, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, uh, for people who don't know, who just tuned in and listen to past episodes, Steve, you've been a longtime friend of Tested, um, not only a provider of Pocky, and right. provider of treats, and even uh, the infamous uh, civet poo coffee. Right. Um, but a, a collector of arcade games, a pinball aficionado. Uh, you worked in the video games business, ran a studio, and now you're kind of ro- roaming the earth. These uh, days. Yeah, I'm doing more with the uh, Video Game History Foundation, which we talked about on the the previous podcast. But yeah, a, a big collector. I actually met Jeremy. Uh, before all this, uh, through the pinball community. So Ooh. he and I have traded uh, a couple of machines back and forth. California Extreme, that's yes. your jam. Uh, how much traveling do you do for for conventions? And what are the big ones? If you know, if I wanted to go, I know about California Extreme, mm-hmm. but if I wanted to do a tour of the big arcade and pinball conventions in the U.S., mm-hmm. where would be my destinations? Oh, that's a good question. Um, the best... Uh, video game console collection. Actually, they do have a lot more uh, arcade and pinball now. Is, is Portland Retro Gaming Expo. Um, by far the one of the best, actually the best in the country. And there's also uh, MAGFest on the East Coast. Uh, the thing Jeremy talks about, uh, the PAPA um, event in uh, Pittsburgh is, is fantastic for pinball. Uh, and then there's a bunch of others. Um, those are the ones that I kind of attend uh, on a regular basis. And of course, California Extreme, which I've been doing now for, I guess, 15, 20 years. So you really do make a circuit of these things. Just like I get to go to um, pop culture conventions, um, comic cons, you, you go to the arcade conventions. Yeah. 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 Do you bring games there? Do you look for games to buy? Um, 
what is what, what do you usually i mean what keeps it fresh uh for the local stuff i'll bring games uh i load up a truck every uh california extreme and and bring a bunch of things in actually you can see we're all getting older because this year as we unloaded games like oh, i think i'm getting too old for this but um before the old conventions like classic gaming expo and things like that i would buy uh, a lot of stuff but uh, now that uh, we've started the nonprofit, and actually, quite frankly, my collection is is pretty much done. Um, I'm really there to to be on panels. We do this thing called Retro Game Roadshow, which is like antiques roadshow, but people bring in their games, and we kind of tell them the history and what it's worth. Oh, that's great! Like that. Is that documented anywhere? Is that filmed, uh, or is that a, just for just for the show? Uh, we have a couple, I think, that are filmed. Um, we've definitely had people bring in things that are, that are really crazy. So, uh, oh my god, that's a lot of fun. When I hear that, all I want is like, where is that show on YouTube? <laughs> and, and why aren't we producing that show, Steve? Uh, you know, it's been pitched a couple of times. I, I think it's just a matter of uh, getting people to to bring things in and, and where mm. do you go. So the, the, the retro game conventions are really the best place for that. Yeah. And, and do you often have other like, like for the equivalent again, so I always bring it to the pop culture conventions. Are there guests like people who work on the games, work on the art? Um, uh, is that part of it as well? Uh, for ours, we did have a couple uh, special guests who kind of popped in to say, oh, yeah, by the way, I worked on that or I programmed that. Um, those there's those, those people are usually at the convention as well doing their own panels mm-hmm. uh, on, on kind of the history of whatever they worked on. So uh, it's great to get crossover. And if something comes up, a lot of times we'll uh, match the person that brought it in with the creator. And it's like, by the way, here's the guy who actually made it. And you can get more of the history. Um I was recently at um, a game studio. Uh, I can't talk about too many details, but uh, a long-running game studio, and one of the people there had a collection of, or had worked on a lot of games, mm-hmm. um, and they had in their office just boxes of old games that they had worked on, and they said each box could be a book, could be of stories about the getting the license to make this game, all the back and forth, all like, and and we have seen like I, I love looking into like old like books. I think they've done it for a couple big games, Doom, obviously. Right. Um, but every game that you feel like is a has a story to it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something we've been trying to do uh, through the nonprofit is collect. We have a lot of artifacts and a lot of paperwork, and one of the things we're trying to do now is a lot of the oral history. So taking you know, what we know there and, and trying to get more of the story around, you know, obviously popular titles. Doom is a really good example of something that's very well covered, but then also things that are maybe seminal, but not as exciting, uh, at least at first glance, and then kind of diving in and getting real deep on on the history of that. Mm, uh, what have you been doing lately uh, as part of the um, the, the museum, the history. Uh, so we are getting ready to make a pretty big announcement. I'd say probably in the next week, uh, week and a half or so. So okay. uh, keep an eye out at uh, gamehistory.org and uh, my Twitter account. Oh, yeah. very cool. Um, well, I mentioned uh, pop culture, of course, that perfect way to, to jump into our pop culture segment. I'm running all the sound this week, so it may not be perfect, <laughs> but I think this is it. Oh, no, I don't have my sound on. Give me one second. This is what happens when uh, when Jeremy leaves. He's in charge of the sound these days. Right. One second. Refresh. So, um, have you watched any movies? I watched a really terrible movie with you guys, um, but nothing new. 
So. Oh, okay. Okay, yeah. We hung out last week after the podcast, and we watched Jack Reacher 2. Never go back. Never go back. And never go back. I am an unabashed Tom Cruise <clears throat> fan. Uh, I apologize. I apologize for suggesting it. Uh, I really enjoy the first Jack Reacher film. It was uh, directed by Christopher McQuarrie, who wrote Usual Suspects, and he uh, he wrote um, the Tom Cruise movie um, Edge of Tomorrow, otherwise known as All You Need Is Kill, otherwise all you need, uh, otherwise known as um, Tomorrow Never or what was it called? What did they rename it again? Too um, Live Die Kill or Live Die Repeat? Right. I think um, that was the poster, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. Um, and uh, he also directed. The last Mission Impossible movie, which right. I loved, and so loved Jack Reacher one. I had such high hopes for Jack Reacher two. It was garbage. It was awful. It was. I didn't know how this movie got made. Like, well, you know it was, wasn't made, right? It's Tom Cruise and, and all that uh, and the Chinese investment money, right? It was so. It, had, it, it all the exciting and, and like those movies are based off of books. I haven't read the right. books. I know there are people who are huge fans of the Jack Reacher books, and um, and maybe the. This was based on a book that they they sold on the strength of the source material, which not very strong for a movie, and they sold on the strength of Tom Cruise's star power. Uh, but it was just about lazy, lazy writing, lazy action. Um, the best green screen. Oh my god, oh, green <laughs> screen effects! You could see like like they just didn't pay for the nice uh, compositing. You could see the edge of people's hair green screen as they were in cars right. in the backgrounds. It was a great movie to. Uh, do like a riffs track style commentary for which we basically started doing it ended up being yeah, the case yeah pretty much uh, like 10 20 minutes in but the, the the i will justify watching that movie and having watched that movie because that was the perfect way to clean my palate right to prepare myself for john wick 2 right which we talk about actors in their 50s tom cruise is like 54 um keanu reeves is 52 they're in their 50s making action films keanu reeves has it down and it is John Wick 2 amazing. Yeah, what was the joke before it came out? It was like John Wick 2, John gets a cat. Right. Yeah, but yeah. There's another right. dog in it. Yeah, right? it was, yeah, okay. yeah. He got to get to the second dog at the end of the first one, which not a big spoiler. You should have watched the first one by now. Uh I'm not going to talk too in depth about the film, uh, but I recommend everyone should watch it. Watch the first film first. Have you seen John yes, Wick? Yes, I have seen John Wick 1. You're gonna love John Wick 2. It's everything you love about the first film, but they were more ambitious. Um, and I really wanted to go into a spoiler cast territory with Adam and Will this week, uh, but we may save that for a future episode when they've both watched it. The other thing I will say is if you don't know the story of how those movies got made, John Wick 1 was directed by two people. They were both uh, stunt stuntmen. Oh. So they were stuntmen and stunt choreographers that then took a script and then directed, I believe their first film was John Wick. And since then, the two directors have uh, split apart to work on separate projects. The One of the directors is now, he, he finished a film, um, a Cold War film uh, that's coming out later this year with Charlize Theron, I want to say. Um, and he's actually was picked up to direct Deadpool 2. Okay. So high and, hopes for Deadpool 2 right. for that. And the other director, the co-director, was when he did Solo for John Wick 2. John Wick 2. Uh, right. So he still has, he's still, and, and they, I think it was the same writer. Um, who who worked on on both films? But the thing about John Wick Two is the action scene. So you remember John Wick One was all about these crazy frenetic gunfights where right. like he would have these. It would be like precision shooting, but like chaos and and um, it was so stylistic. Um, 
but it would be these long takes also. Right. right? Like, so, it was kind of like the raid, right? Yeah. 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 Except instead of punching, it'd right. be shooting. Uh, highly choreographed. Uh, John Wick 2, you still have that. And what the director wa- really wanted to do again was pull the camera back and let the camera just sit there and show the action. So it's a lot of these wide shots. They shot um, the, the really sharp colors, um, really colorful action too. So they're part of the movie takes place in Rome. There are different interior outdoor, but they, all the lighting for the environments are very, they're in the shot. So if it, if it lights on an actor, uh, and there's a lot of dark scenes because you know, he runs through catacombs. Right. And, but if, if there's light in the actor, you see the light in the shot. Like there are LED strips everywhere. Like even in the subway, subway stations and in the subway trains, you see like LED strips, which add this nice mood to it. And it's very like blue and red, um, but it's, a, it's beautifully shot, beautifully choreographed. And there's some great YouTube videos of Keanu Reeves training. Yeah, I did see those where, where he's kind of, he's got the automatic weapon and mm-hmm. kind of just, Things are popping up, and he's going through there. Yeah, yeah and also okay. just like the uh, the people who trained him, he you could tell he just ran through those sequences over and over and over, never complained. He sees like he's wearing sweats. He does the move. It's a it's a very I think it's a standard tactical um, move where you pull the gun out of your holster and aim it both hands forward, and your knees are bent and your whole body is stiff. Um, and he did. St- there's a video clip of him doing that like a dozen times. Not doing it great because he all he needs to do is the one time for camera. Right. But, the, but he wants to have that muscle yep, memory. The okay. muscle memory. Yeah. And uh, if you go back to Collateral, did you ever see the Tom Cruise, Michael Mann movie Collateral? Yeah, yeah. Tom Cruise does that same move. And apparently, I saw a post on Reddit, Tom Cruise's execution of that move is so perfect that it's used in some training classes. Apocryphal, <laughs> maybe not true, but, right. uh, but the rumor is that that clip is used as a way to illustrate the right way to do it. Oh, like both actors wow. who are determined, or who are um, very committed to their craft, uh, but if you compare John Wick 2 and Jack Reacher 2, spend your money on John Wick 2. Yeah, yeah. And everything, everything we hear about Keanu Reeves, he just becomes more and more like super cool guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, did you know there's, I saw two movies. Did you okay. see the other movie? I did not the other see big the movie. other big movie. The, the number one movie. Was it the number one movie the, this number weekend? number one movie was, was the one you're going to talk about. John Wick was number three. Oh, that's right. Because there was the, yeah. the Fifty Shades of uh, yeah, Grey sequel that came out. Right. Uh, Lego Batman came out over the weekend. <clears throat> and now I assume you also saw the Lego movie. I did see the Lego movie. Yes. Did you enjoy it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was, it was really good. good uh, I was, I was. Pleasantly surprised. I, I didn't know what to expect. I thought it was a kiddie movie, but there's a lot for adults to enjoy in there. I think the creative team behind that, um, Chris Miller, Phil Lord, they know how to write clever movies that are going to appeal to kids. With the theme, I mean, it's, it's like Lego. A Pixar, like, yeah, miracle, right? exactly. Yeah. But it can be a little subversive. Also, mm-hmm. uh, they didn't direct, direct or write the Lego Batman movie. I believe that was Adam McKay who directed it, and he did. Um, Adam McKay did Ant-Man, hmm. uh, he did Talia Nights, uh, so he knows comedy, uh, but it's really well-written. Uh, the best, Some of the best moments in the Lego Batman movie are when they poke fun at all the iterations of Batman. Okay. So it's some like, like Adam West all, all on. The, okay. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so they're, they definitely acknowledge, it's like a meta film, like those movies are films, self-aware films to some extent. Right. Because they're about, they're in a Lego, their own universe. Like they, those characters are Lego builders. Right. Like, um, Any like stare at the camera moments it, or like yeah, breaking the fourth wall or not breaking the fall, fourth wall, nothing to the extent that the Lego movie did. Mm-hmm. It wasn't as conceptual as that. 
uh, it's a little more straightforward, of a, but it's definitely as a, the universe itself is very self-aware um, with all the jokes. Like, you know, Batman, Batman is not the brooding character. He's the, the, uh, the very, um, the well-ornet Batman that was in the Lego movie. Uh, the, oh, so it's that Batman. It's that Batman. It's, okay. the, it's the pompous, like, I'm awesome Batman. Right. Like, everything is dark Batman. Do we have a Batman origin story told in Lego? It's not the Batman origin story, okay. but it is the Robin origin story. Oh. So Michael Sarah, who is unrecognizable as Voice-wise? Voice-wise. Okay. Unrecognizable as Michael Sarah, uh, plays Robin. It's fantastic. And it's about... Uh, it, he, Robin's journey is the... the um, the 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 thing that the, the the it's the it's Batman's light like the arc is Batman's character arc mm-hmm. but plot wise it's Robin's story Robin's story okay yeah 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 well number one in the box office and they said uh, this week I forget what it's going up against but we'll see yeah I hope it does well I know they have like an, a Lego Ninjago film um, they had a trailer for that the thing that I love for those films as animation films they're they're so gorgeous. Yeah. Like, I don't know how Warner Brothers did it. Whatever shaders they use, like, they, they, it looks like the epitome of stop motion in Lego. Well, when I first saw the Lego movie, I was, for a minute, I was like, is this CG or is this stop motion? Because I couldn't tell. Um, you know, the, like, they only used official Lego pieces, no mm-hmm. sort of custom pieces. And then as you see in different scenes, like, okay, there's no way they animated this. I like, think Jeremy like, said, when the first time he watched it, yeah. he thought it was stop motion. <laughs> he told his son, "This they're using. They're actually moving individual <laughs> pieces, blocks. like like you know, like Leica would do it, right? Um, but it is that kind of the perfect. If you could do, if you had a, a camera that was invisible that could get up as close as you could, mm-hmm. and you could control lighting and build as as many pieces, um, it's what that stop motion. How you think in your head it should look like, and they even go so far with the lighting." To show like the sheen of Lego, like in the the wear, oh, like yeah. you worn Lego pieces, well, like Spaceman, right? He had the yeah, the thing. scratches. Yeah, right. But if you take a photo, if you perfectly light a Lego piece, mm-hmm. and you hold a minifig, and you photograph it or film video of it to try to make it look like Lego Batman movie or the Lego movie, mm-hmm. it would be very difficult. You wouldn't get those same scratches. It would be it would look much cleaner than the actual than what they rendered in the film. Right. It'd be funny if you could see like. A reflection of a camera or something inside yeah. one of the character that, that weird like, yeah. like a boom mic or something mm-hmm. dropping it uh but yeah i i thought uh lego movie was amazing and i'm really excited to uh to see this one you gotta so. watch gotta watch it two yep. recommendations uh, i did the, i did the thing i promised i would do which watch um i watched both oh you watch, which one did you watch first so i watched john wick first okay and lego batman was the palette cleanser i did john wick first partly because we watched jack reacher right and I needed Go right in it from from the sour taste in my mouth of Jack Reacher to the awesomeness of John Wick Two, mm-hmm. and then the joyfulness of Lego Batman. Uh, I was exhausted by the end. I like John Wick Two more. Yeah. Okay. And okay. I I really enjoyed Lego Batman, but John Wick Two was like if I'm going to go back and see one of those films again, right. it would be John Wick Two. And I wonder how much Jack Reacher contributed to that. It's like we talked is like eating bitter melon, which is this uh, Chinese dish that tastes awful mm-hmm. because anything you eat after that tastes amazing. So maybe that was the case. It's the M-berry. M-berry, yes. The M-berry right. before the, the fruit of Wick. Right. Um, speaking of Batman, <clears throat> Batman films, next Batman film is, uh, as announced by Warner Brothers, is The Batman. Batfleck. Batfleck. 
Well, may not be Batfleck. Okay. Uh, so after Ben Affleck's last movie, they did Live by Night. He mm-hmm. wrote and directed it. Came out. It bombed. I think it has, according to Box Office Mojo, the biggest theater reduction week to week. Like they took the Warner Brothers took it out of ninety percent of theaters of screens from first week to second week because no one went the first week and it was too wide of a release. Uh, really, it should have been released as like a indie film because it was more right. of a passion project. And maybe Warner didn't spend enough to to market it. But yeah, I don't even know what this is. That's like it was a mobster, okay. mobster movie. All right, yeah. Um, it was the it was Ben Affleck's one for me, one for you. That mm-hmm. one that was the one for him. So after that, and maybe these things are not exactly correlated, but he took himself out of the uh, the chair for directing Batman, the Batman. Oh, so he said he issued a statement. He said it was going to be too much work to do both because such a like it would be he has too much on his plate. He wanted to focus on the character and not focus, and he couldn't do both directing and acting at the same time. Which you know I, I can get it makes some sense, but part of me also thinks that Warner Brothers took it away from him because, I mean. He, he lost money on Live By Night. Uh, so the rumor was that they were going to offer it to Matt Reeves. Okay. Who's Matt Reeves? Um, Cloverfield. Oh. Dawn of Planet of the Apes and Rise of Planet of the Apes. All right. Did you see either of those? I did. I did. I, 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 like, I like both of those a lot. Right. I thought the last Planet of the Apes movie was fantastic. Right. Set in San Francisco. Wait, so when you say Cloverfield, you mean Cloverfield or Cloverfield Lane? Cloverfield. Okay. Cloverfield right. Lane is... Um, Dan, uh, uh, what's his name? Who did the portal short? Who was uh, part of? I can't um, remember. Dan Trackenberg. Yeah. Okay. Um, who was part of? Who was a podcaster? He oh. did. Um, he along with uh, Alex Albrecht and uh, did a Tolly Rad or Tolly Tolly Rad show. It was a like a Techzilla style um, show about pop culture, mm-hmm. and then he did, he directed a, a portal short film and then he was going to do why the last man mm-hmm. uh, and then surprise he uh he came out with cloverfield lane Tennessee okay. Cloverfield Lane, which which i also enjoyed all right yeah so the next batman film though is not him it's it's probably yeah. it's matt reeves mm-hmm. um which i think would be great it's probably gonna be great uh but new rumors now and these are still rumors is that ben affleck wants out of the batman role completely completely mm-hmm. i think he's contractually obligated to do the batman right and Justice League, and he's already the Justice League is already filmed, right? Um, but Justice League was supposed to be multiple films, but the rumor is that he wants he wants he's done with the role, which would be a huge blow. Yeah, to I mean, the DC I, cinematic universe. I thought he was really good as Batman. He was, I think he was yeah. the best part of uh, <laughs> Batman versus Superman. Surprisingly, right? Yeah. Like the the internet arc from announcement of Ben Affleck as Batman to the release of man versus uh, of um, Batman V Superman. Right. Like everyone was on team team Affleck. Right. It was almost like, I guess it's the modern equivalent of the Michael Keaton. Oh, casting. Right. Yeah. Cause I remember when that happened. Oh, yeah, I, I don't. So tell me, tell me about that. Like 1989, <laughs> um, Tim Burton's Batman right. announcement of Beetlejuice's Batman. What was the reception? Yeah. Like? It's like Mr. Mom is Batman. Right. It, it's just, uh, I remember being really confused by it because I could not picture what that would look like. Um, And just people were, this is before the internet or it was 89. Yeah. So it was before the internet, but this was sort of playground talk. Everybody um, just saying like Michael Keaton, really? And the news articles just kind of announcing it. And then when it it came out though, in that movie had so much um, 
like adver- such a big advertising push that everybody saw it. Yeah, uh, oh, yeah. and then well, it was I mean, also yeah, Batman. Yeah, it was Batman. Like Batman is back, and this is you know no longer can't be Adam West Batman. Mm-hmm. So um, I think everybody saw it differently. And then I think with every Batman announcement, you're going to have some pushback. You're like, okay, George Clooney, I guess he's got like the jaw, and then Val Kilmer and everything else. But it just, yeah. Um, I remember Ben Affleck. They're like, oh, it's going to be like Daredevil, or you know. well, that, that's the big. That was the difference between Ben Affleck's announcement right. and Michael Keane's announcement. With mm-hmm. Michael Keane, it wasn't. It was. It was very clearly. I can't. I can't imagine this. Yeah. And with Ben Affleck, it was. I can imagine right. this, that's and true. I don't want it. Right. Right. Like I've seen this before. <laughs> right. And I don't want it. Uh, and it turns out we did want it. He yeah. took the role seriously. He played the older Batman, mm-hmm. bitter old Batman, grizzled Batman, grizzled Batman. Yeah. He did his CrossFit on camera, mm-hmm. and and we ate it up. Um, so if he's out of the Batman role, I think Warner Brothers is screwed. Like, there's yeah. no way they can start a new Batman franchise with the Batman and have this Justice League going on, but have to have it recast. They would have to basically. They would have to write Batman, Bruce Wayne, out of the Batman movies. Yeah. They would just have the Batman kind of... I, I have no idea what that... I mean, are there any, I guess, what comic um, storylines could they pull on to sort of they would cover ha- that up? I think they would have to rewrite the Batman, which the rumors is, as uh, Matt Reeves comes into the director's role, he may start with a new script, and previously right. it was Ben Affleck collaborating with Jeff Johns over at DC to work on the script. Uh, I think... They would have Warner Brothers would encourage them to write it in a way so that Batman could retire and kind of be like what the uh, Dark Knight trilogy ended at, where mm-hmm. it was going to be Robin, you know, Joseph Gordon-Levitt taking over the role of the Batman, right, and introducing maybe a Robin type character or a Nightwing type character and have the mantle passed on um, for the next Justice League film, and then bring back someone who could play, you know, what. what, what and, and have that be a problem for a future date. Right. Well, I think this is one of those questions where if this is already an issue, should they just sort of cut their losses and, and try to you know, recast or something? I mean, you have Justice League that's filmed. I don't think they could recast at this point. <laughs> no. But I, the good thing for them is they already set established the stage as this is grizzled Batman. Right. Doing it for 10 years, or doing it for 20 years, however long. Right. And they already in, I guess, in uh, Batman v Superman, they had the the Robin Right. Costume with the Joker, so yeah, they could yeah. bring in an actor okay. to say that that was you know someone who's younger and say that was the Robin of that story right. and comes back and do Red Hood, and then make Red Hood be the villain of the Batman film and take over the mantle of the Batman and kind of combine that with um with a night a Nightfall. Yeah, well, I, I guess we'll see how this affects that script. Then um, it's going to be pretty dramatic change, regardless. Yeah, lots of uh, interesting things happening. Um, Staying with, more with DC, because I know we talk about Marvel a lot. Uh, the new rumor, according to Hollywood Reporter. I hate this rumor. I know. Is that Warner Brothers for Suicide Squad 2, not David Iyer, Mel Gibson, potentially. Jeez. Really? That infuriates me. How success can really make us forget every the, the reason we stopped paying attention to Mel Gibson. Right. And it's because uh, the David Iyer's who did... Uh, Suicide Squad is focusing on his film Gotham City Sirens, which is he like Harley Quinn, clearly the standout role character in Suicide Squad. So to focus on Harley Quinn and he can then bring in Joker, but Harley Quinn, Poison Ivy, Catwoman, um, the female villains of the DC universe. And then but Su- Suicide Squad 2, I guess you still have it's 
Will Smith's movie. It's Deadshot's movie, right. I guess, with some of the some of the characters, Captain Flag, Rick Flag. Um, the <laughs> the best line of this Hollywood Reporter article is: "Sources say that Gibson is familiarizing himself with the material." Oh man. Just that one line tells you everything you need to know why this is not a good idea. Right. When you have when you have to have someone who comes in with baggage and then also doesn't love the material, has no history with the material, um, you're really just shooing someone in um, to bring a name into it because you don't have big names to anchor the the cast. You have to have a big name anchor the director would he put himself in it like what's what's the deal i have no idea i mean that this scene like suicide squad was not good either so um i i'm I'm kind of wondering a how they're going to promote this movie um because they had so many missteps with the first one uh they're trying to save it but now if they're thinking oh we'll bring in sort of a quote-unquote marquee director uh for this maybe it'll turn it around and and see what his take looks like i mean i i'm not excited about watching this um and especially if uh, Mel Gibson is helming it. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I did, I had a pretty, pretty packed weekend. Um, I think I mentioned it on This Only a Test a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago. But I finally, um, Danica and I went to the speakeasy. Have okay. you heard of this? Is this the, the phone booth you have to go through to... It's not a phone booth. Okay. Uh, and it's not a bar. Um, what is a bar? It's oh, the, oh, wait, the, no. The, the, uh, sorry. Theatrical right. experience. That's right. Right. Uh, so New York has this... A theater show called um, I want to say it's called Speak No More. Okay, um, you had to be in costume for this, right? Or rather, it was highly encouraged you dressed. Period. Yes, okay. yes. Uh, Sleep No More. Sorry, Sleep mm-hmm. No More is a theater production in New York. They've been doing it for a while. It's in set in this hotel, and it's like an immersive theater experience <clears throat> where um, attendees walk around at their own pace in each in theatrically designed rooms, and then a story unfolds. And the San Francisco version is called The Speakeasy. And it was a, a theatrical production put on in 2014. They rented a space, decked it out. They lost their venue. Um, and so last year, they, the writers and the creators of the show found a new space in an undisclosed location. <laughs> 9,000 square feet, which is not small. No, no. And they spent, I think, close to $4 million renovating it to look like um, a 1920s speakeasy in San Francisco. Okay. Underground. So they built out a full cabaret. There's a casino. There's a bar. There are nine different rooms total, I believe. And um, we're fascinated, one, because of the this immersive theatrical experience. So the idea is you book a time. Mm-hmm. You go, they, they have performances throughout the week. Uh, they don't tell you where it is. You are encouraged to dress up. So mm-hmm. formal wear is required. Okay. So it's either cocktail attire or 1920s thematic wear. Mm-hmm. So you have to dress up. You they give you an address. You go to an alley. You couldn't go in in like a Starfleet uniform you and be like that in, episode. I know. I know. You couldn't go in and, and hold it on. Whatever, yeah. 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 Computer. Right. Uh, um, arch. Right. Right. You can computer arch. No. It. No. Okay. Even though it, it really because. Those Star Trek episodes, like when I talked about it, I, I put it, it was akin to Westworld. Right. But it's actually, you're right. It's more akin to Star Trek because, especially because of the theming, the rooms, they couldn't, weren't Westworld style massive environments. It mm-hmm. was like one room. Okay. Like the next generation, whenever they would go and um, it would be one room, right? One right. casino room. Like that episode, do you remember 
It was uh, well, it's when they were trapped in the the space hotel. Yes, the yeah, space yeah, hotel. Yeah, yeah. It was, it's exactly like, yeah. like that. Yeah, the um, astronauts like we're trapped in this terrible uh, universe, and, and they kept cycling itself. Yep, yep. Yeah, it, exactly like that. Right. Oh my god, how do you mention it? Were you able to to mic the dice so you can be the rich investors to buy the <laughs> hotel and get outside? <laughs> well, so is it? So you talk about like it's Westworld. It are, are I mean the people act as effective with like NPCs. And they are, are they are they like trying to entice you into quests or no? So no. there's not a ton of interactivity. Okay. Um, there are 30 performers, 30 actors, and the whole thing runs like three and a half hours to four hours long. Okay. So it's not a short experience, which is really impressive. Um, but the reason they are like NPCs is every performer has a three and a half hour script oh. from dialogue to where they are to staging to blocking. Do you think it so it doesn't branch? It doesn't branch. Okay. It's a it's one continuous loop. <clears throat> the only minor branching that there is is if you are sitting in a seat mm-hmm. that they're supposed to be sitting in, then they'll engage you to tell you, uh, you know, you know, good sir, is someone sitting here? Can I have the screen? You know, this, mm-hmm. this is my seat. And then and then you have that light interaction. So the, the night that we went, it was a, it was a pretty packed, mm-hmm. um, which is good because there's like a right balance between like you wanting to feel like there are a lot of people there inhabiting and populating the world. Right. Um, but you don't want to be too much because everyone is an observer. So everyone is kind of in there. Like they're all, it's not like everyone's 1920s. Right. They're all modern people. Only 30 of the people are in the 1920s, but everyone's dressed up. Like you're encouraged to kind of role play along a little bit. Well, how many, so there's 30 actors. How many participants are there? Or like, I guess, attendees. I couldn't, I couldn't count, but it's gotta be several hundred. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. I, I was thinking you were going to say like 50. No, it's it's, right. it's definitely more than that because mm-hmm. even like the cabaret is, is, you know, fifty people, and that's just one of the rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, but the cool thing is, you can sit like you can follow along the stories because mm-hmm. there are with thirty between thirty actors, you know, there are a dozen or storylines uh, at least. And we found a person we were interested in, uh, and we followed them, and then they branched off, and they would go like sometimes they would go behind locked door, like, like private doors. So you oh. can follow them. And, yeah. um, but for the most part, they would have a path that they would walk in and they would encounter people at scripted times, at scripted moments. Um, there was one room that was kind of the secret room that uh, wasn't in part of the world. Uh, so th- there's a cabaret, there mm-hmm. are dancers or performers, ventriloquists, comedians, uh, and then they all go to a dressing room. And you can see the dressing room, you walk down a hallway, you see the dressing room open, but you can't really see, like, hear what's going on inside. Mm-hmm. But there is a secret room on the other side of the mirror. It's a one-way mirror. And this isn't, it's not themed anyway. It's kind of like, this is your your voyeuristic room. Mm-hmm. And so you and like 20 people can sit there and watch all the drama play out. So there's a lot of behind the scenes. It's all scripted. But so, you learn a lot of backstory from uh, the dressing room. So are, are these actors basically like, Pied Pipers walking through, you have a bunch of people following their story or did, did people kind of, oh, there's too many people following that person. Yeah, I, I think it off. naturally balanced itself uh-huh. out. It, it wasn't as awkward as like if someone was, you know, sitting and chatting, you'd be like hovering over their shoulder and listening <laughs> in. You did at times feel like, like people would give them space. Like if, okay. you, if there was a big dramatic moment happening between two actors, a big climactic moment, like you could definitely see a ring for of, of people forming around. It wasn't like I was sitting on the couch and just glancing over and trying to over here. You would, it was still theater. Right, right. Right. And they would do things. Uh, I thought it was very clever with the lighting. It was all custom lighting in the room. So, you know, there was a waiting room with a couple couches and bathroom doors. And, you know, when a big moment was supposed to happen, the light would dim and they would spotlight 
the two actors uh, and for like a flashback or something or a soliloquy. So they, it was still a Would everybody stop? Like everybody yeah, else? Yes. Okay, so yeah, it's kind of so like the pause, they everybody would, pay attention and then... And then exactly. Okay. So they would highlight it with, with musical cues, with lighting, <clears throat> with the other actors slowing their motions. Um, it didn't all play out exactly in real time. Mm-hmm. But boy, I, I've, it's been in my head this entire week. I've been thinking about it, thinking about it, and really wanted to go back. At the end of the evening, walking back out into North Beach in San Francisco where it's set. And well, you just gave away. Well, there's a specific location. It's in North Beach. Right. Uh, But walking out, it really felt like jumping out of a time portal Mm -hmm. and like hearing like police sirens and hearing cars. We went during like the night of Chinese New Year. Oh, wow. uh, Parade. Uh, The parade with firecrackers going off and really felt like. Like one of those 80s movies where it got time warped from the past and jumped back into the present. Mm. Yeah. It was well, a really, really great experience. Was there uh, any interactivity? Um, you said like you could sit in chairs and, and I guess, um, I don't know if there was like a bar or um, yeah, gambling so, or something. But Yeah, there's gambling and, you know, they give you, you can buy fake chips ahead of time and mm. then you get like, you get chips to, to play in just fake roulette or blackjack mm-hmm. and some of the characters, even the, the dealers have stories that mm-hmm. like everyone has a role in it so the, the casino is there for you know some of the characters side characters walk up and like mm-hmm. lose all their money and uh, or, or like you know to get into trouble right. um and the bar a lot of i mean there's a piano in the bar so there are performers in the bar as well but there are people like sitting at the bar who are definitely characters i think they did a good job of seating some characters who you didn't realize were characters till mm-hmm. later on okay like they'd be walking around and and then suddenly they have they'd have a speaking role so did you also run into anybody who had been there multiple times and they were following new people or? We didn't really chat with other people who were there. Oh, okay. And I think that's for right. the best. Right. Because you kind of are in your own bubble of feeling like you are transported in time. You're doing your own like mental role playing, like whether it's the holodeck or mm-hmm. the Westworld style experience. It was just fun to, you know, talk about it afterward, but not, not while the thing was happening. So while I think they encourage groups, it wouldn't be a great thing to do with like 10 people, mm. maybe two groups, like four people and mm-hmm. split off in pairs and then come back at the end. Um, and you can honestly, like you can sit at the bar for three and a half hours and get real drinks because mm-hmm. it's a real bar and you would get pieces of a story and probably a satisfying, a pretty satisfying story. Uh, but feel like for three and a half hours, you were in 1923 wow. in, in, in a bar in San Francisco and crazy stuff was happening. I want to know who the man in black patron is of of, yeah. this, of speakeasy, someone who's been there like 30, 40 times they or something. And, and it's just, they recognize that person that was, as like I, the guy who's trying to get the weird. deep story, but who knows? It might be a little weird for the actors. Oh too. yeah. It'd be very weird right? for them. <laughs> it's like, this guy's back. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because you can buy season passes or like, we'll do like 10 packs or something. Yeah. There so, you go. Yeah, that, that's a little too rich for my blood. <laughs> All right, that's plenty of pop culture. We're going to talk a little bit uh, about technology. And for that, our technology bumper. If I can get it to play. That's not the right one at all. All right. What sound is that? That's not it at all. Nope. Technology news. Uh, Steve, do you have a NES Mini yet? I do. You got one. Uh, Yeah, yeah. I, I... Tend to be pretty fast on that stuff, especially being a, a Nintendo nerd. So, uh, yeah, I've had one for a while. Uh, I, I I turned it on. Uh, some of the sound emulation was off, and I already own all those games anyway. So mm-hmm. it was more like this is a cool thing to sit on my desk. 
Oh, so that's a good question. Have you done like comparison? Like you could you detect what things were emulated gameplay wise, audio wise, graphics wise, and what things weren't? Well, they're, they're all emulated. I mean, so I mean, it, it, anything that's noticeable. Yeah, yeah. Like, the, the the sound is the most notable noticeable thing. Um, just I forget which one was uh, kind of just jumped out at me, but it's like, wow, oh, that that sounds wrong. And then sort of going to the cartridge and actually uh, comparing it. I, mm-hmm. I mean, it's good. Like unless you had kind of gone to the level of the super collectors and you're probably not going to care. Uh, in fact, I would say like the vast majority of people don't care. They can play the games and it, it feels authentic. The controller's great. So, um, but for me, it's like, you know, I, I got it just because I think it looked cool, not necessarily because I would use it to to play things on. Mm. Well, people have been tinkering, of course, with the right. NES Mini and uh, they've already been able to add more ROMs to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now there's an emulator... Um, Retro Arch right. that people have ported now that can run more than just NES games. You can get SNES games, Genesis, and Game Boy. Uh, Neo Geo as well. I thought, and Neo Geo, Geo. yeah. Right. So I don't know about performance. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how um, how that runs on the NES Mini software or hardware. Well, that hardware is like at, when it first got revealed was way more powerful than you need for mm. for uh, the NES. And then when you look at like you know, even the the Pi score, right? That um, uh, Raspberry Pi three, it, it, it's got plenty of horsepower. I think they they posted some videos of it running, and it was going pretty steady, sixty frames a second. Um, you know, there were some like hiccups here and there, but uh, it looked pretty good. And I think it it's sort of based off the the hack cheese stuff they had, where you could load up tons and tons of ROMs onto uh, onto the system. But the system only has five hundred twelve megabytes of of uh, storage, so not a ton of ROMs. You can put uh, yeah, I mean, especially if you're going well. Nothing super huge. You can probably fit most libraries like one at a time, but you couldn't have like all Super Nintendo, all Genesis, all Neo Geo, everything else at the same time. That's greedy. Just when you're saying, okay, if you can fit an entire library, right? That's that's well, a lot. That's, that's I mean, plenty. that's what it's people more than yeah. the ten that you want. Right? I know people are completist and like, oh, I don't think that's a real. I mean, that that main cabinet doesn't have every single game ever made. <laughs> And every variant, right? Not good enough. Well, I tell people, you know, when they're building main cabinets, if you're going to do one, don't put every ROM on there. Just just keep it relatively short or sort of a curated experience. Yes, um, absolutely. Rather than like, hey, let's play this like awful kicks porn clone or something like that. Menu hero. Yeah. Right. It's yeah. Uh, every time you ended up right. going up, 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 like forty versions of Street Fighter before you right. get to the next S game. Well, that was actually the problem with the original. Um, uh, NES Classic hack was if you put on too many, it it, it was impossible to scroll through everything. Mm-hmm. So then they started doing like folders and, and categorization, which made it a lot faster. Um, but yeah, it's it's a cool hack, definitely. Yeah, I wonder if someone has taken on the challenge of playing ever playing ten minutes of every or enough of every game one a day on, on a complete library and just <laughs> blogging about it or making a video about it. Oh, well, I mean, I've played every game. For the NES and Super Nintendo, because I own them all. You, you've uh, actually gone through every like every variant of the game. I've played every game that I own, mm-hmm. um, you know, to varying lengths. And mm. of course, I worked in a game store when I was in high school, so I had tons of time back then. All right, so uh, you added this next <clears throat> piece of news to right. the show notes. Uh, tell me about what is the Analog Mini NT? Yeah, this is way more exciting, I think, than the NES Classic. Uh, so Analog Mini or NT Mini is that $450 um, NES that has high def out. This is the second version, not the first one. Oops, oops sorry about that. Um, the second one that came out, and this one runs off an FPGA. So this, the first one used original NES parts. This one has a, you know, the programmable um, uh, core. So it's emulating the NES. 
Um, yeah, FPGA is custom computing hardware. Right. Yeah, right. which is incredibly expensive to to develop. Right. Yeah, you're not buying off the shelf and and adding layers of abstraction for software. Right. So basically, what you're doing is it's emulating the hardware of the NES, um, you know, rather than than software. So, what's cool about it is it was actually partially um, designed by a guy named Kevtris, who's well known in the emulation scene for developing uh, cores, um, emulation cores, and there's official firmware for the Analog NT Mini, and then he started releasing his own firmware um, where you can start running Sega Master System games and ColecoVision and SG-1000 um, off the SD port uh, that's on the back. Wait, so he made the hardware and then also released... His own firmware. His own firmware? Yes. But why wouldn't that firmware just be a part of the hardware release? Because that that's quite tricky. Um, you know, Analog is saying, hey, this is a way to play your high-definition NES cartridges that you own. Right, because there's the Famicom and NES cartridge slot on there. If they were to say, "Oh, you can just start dumping ROMs on an SD card and play everything you want," then it gets a lot more tricky for them legally. Uh, so Kevtris, uh, his day job is working on like medical equipment. So attention to detail um, is just staggering because people could die if you messed up. And right. so he has been doing these cores, and he does them for. Everything pretty much, um, including real obscure like Watara supervision and, and game mates and things like that. Um, and he's said he's going to keep releasing these uh, firmware updates. Uh, and the first one, you know, Sega Master System, like I said, Coleco SG One Thousand. And this is original like, NES controller ports. You can use your old NES controllers and and plug them in. Correct. Wow. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's expensive and it's actually sold out now um, because once people started hearing about the, uh, you know, the, the things that you could do with it, um, there's, it, you know, they got more interested. It'll be interesting to see because Kevtris has long talked about releasing his own system. Um, this is maybe a, an interesting way of him to kind of backing into it uh, in many ways. And, and we'll see what he's able to add um, in terms of hardware support. So obviously what the cartridge port um, being only NES and Famicom, uh, you load up the ROMs on the SD card. Uh, so it just there, a menu pops up and you just pick the ROM just like any other emulator, except because he's programming the FPGA, it is probably the most accurate emulation you're going to be able to get. Mm. And there's no plans, as he said, is, is there going to be a hardware version for, for SNES? Is well, so that that's kind of up to Analog NT or Analog uh, Interactive, but um, right now I think he said I'm just going to keep releasing these cores, and you'll be able to play with it. And uh, you know, those that are in the know are, are really enjoying the, the stuff that he's putting out. So it, it's super cool. It's also four hundred fifty dollars. So yeah. you know, four hundred fifty dollars for on its surface, if you're not going to dive into it, and just an, a, the perfect way to play your old NES cartridges <laughs> with your old NES controllers. On it's an HDMI TV, yeah. And so the output is really the, the big thing. This 1080 right. output, how does that compare to the output that you'd uh, put on um, one of those adapters that can upconvert and, and add interlacing? And uh, Well, like something like the FrameMeister, yeah. um, you know, we'll be able to output. But uh, the if you have RGB out of a NES, uh, so doing the RGB mod into a FrameMeister out to the TV. I mean, and the FrameMeister is a piece of hardware. Right, sorry. It's a converter box. Yeah, that, upscaler. Upscaler oh, that right. you can plug uh, S video or not S video, uh, um, composite. Yeah, composite component um, and RGB and RGB. Right, um, and then it outputs HDMI. Correct, um, and lets you 
tweaks some of the, the, the right. You can do things like it. ad scan lines ad and there's color lines, yeah. profiles and all kinds of other stuff. Um, it's it's a really cool device. It, that's also four hundred dollars or three hundred fifty. Um, so yeah, if you had an RGB modded NES, which is you know hundred hundred fifty dollars plus the Frame Meister, it'd be pretty equivalent to what you get with the analog NT. Um, and so it's cheaper in that respect, uh, but. Of course, you know, the Frame Meister is much more versatile in terms yeah, of other systems. Any other vintage system. That, that yeah. boggles my mind that there's in an industry and amazing engineers, people who design FPGAs and hardware for medical equipment that devote their brain space, their time and their energy for overcoming a problem that a company like Nintendo didn't even consider it being a problem and most people don't think of as a problem to play vintage games, to yeah. play old hardware games today. It's been, I mean, people send him like these really obscure systems and then he posts videos where it's like, okay, I got this working after like about four or five hours. Like, oh my, you know, having that brain power on the, you know, emulating a system that probably thousands of people might have owned is, is, is quite fascinating. And I love it. I mean, this is all about preservation. And it's an art that's going away because that whole, that concept of preservation isn't really necessary because the way software is run today, the way hardware is designed, the way standards are built, everything's built to to be future proof mm -hmm. and software built. I mean, I guess the dedicated hardware of today, and we talked about this with the, the PS4 being locked down software, locked down on the hardware. There's still you stuff to go through a layer of emulation. You can't just throw it on faster CPUs. Right. Um, that's going to be have to be adapted for. But everything's developed on the same systems and yeah. the same shared in many cases, same engines. Yeah, so going forward, that's just not going to be needed, and that whole art of reviving old games um, won't be around. Yeah, yeah. well, um, one quick emulation thing that I didn't put on here, Primal Rage 2, which is an unreleased uh, Atari arcade game, is now finally playable, um, thanks to a guy, uh, I cannot remember his name, but I will put it on uh, the show notes. Um, he has been working for over three years to get everything properly decrypted and supported in MAME um, in order to play uh, a game that never came out. So uh, congratulations to him, uh, and that's really cool. When, I, the, when that happens yeah. in the the classic arcade fan community, how big of an event is that, and how does word get out? Is it just from forums to... and. Uh, yeah, I mean, the, the funny thing is, uh, Primal Rage 2 has been playable. The actual physical cabinet has shown up at California Extreme, and I believe there's also a copy in Chicago. Um, so if you lived in one of those areas, um, you could have played it. But this is one of those anybody anywhere can load it up um, in this custom version of MAME. Um, yeah, it, it starts in usually from an announce, and it's picked up by people who have been following that person doing the project. And then it just sort of spreads like wildfire from there. And saying like, hey, look at this. Like, congratulations to him. I mean, I can't imagine like three years off and on trying to get a game that never came out working. So. Are there many more holy grails of that for classic arcade games? Yeah, there's a there's a bunch of uh, undumped. Uh, there's a list of basically undumped ROMs or, or things we know exist uh, that haven't been dumped yet. I think probably the most prominent is uh, Marble Madness 2, Marble Man, um, where the person holding the ROMs uh, is, is unwilling to release a dump. Um, he has dumped them, um, but uh, it's it's one of those cases where that person paid a lot of money um, for that game, and uh, it's you know his prerogative to do uh, what he wants with with that uh, with that board. Yeah, I can't hold on to it forever. No, no, you can't take it with you. Yeah, analog NT Mini, four hundred fifty bucks. I can't justify. It. Does it have an Ethernet port? It does not have an Ethernet no port. No Ethernet port. Well, but what might have Ethernet support <clears throat> if not a port itself? Is Nintendo Switch. Yeah. 
this came out of nowhere. Well, I mean, you saw in the uh, the reveal they had the uh, the giant stadium of people playing Splatoon, uh, and they wanted maybe, esports, right? Yeah, esports, right? So like low latency connections. That's been you know a thing in the GameCube world uh, for a long time, where you can or link uh, Mario Kart and all those other systems. So so know. we are what th- two weeks away now. God, that's right. Yeah, two weeks away. It's going to be a busy GDC week in two weeks. Yes. Uh, two weeks away from Nintendo Switch launch, mm-hmm. um, which launching the week of GDC, a little crazy, right? Um, it is the Friday, though. It yeah. is. That's yeah. right. So actually, that's, that's going to, I mean. We'll be worn out. <laughs> right. We'll be worn out from GDC, and you're going to lose the ability to, uh, I guess there's no street pass. But, right. uh, but to network with people, literally network right. with people, uh, because you can. There's a USB port on uh, Nintendo Switch. It's how it charges. You can get an adapter. But it's USB C. USB C. Right. Absolutely. Right. So this adapter, that's an official adapter, released in partnership with Nintendo, um, is for USB to Ethernet, which you also had for um, for the Wii. Right. If you didn't want to use the Wi-Fi, uh, so I guess the, is there. Is there a, a a USB-A port on the Switch? Is that uh, it, it's not on the, the the tablet part itself. I think it's on the dock. Oh. Um, I, I, I actually, to be honest, I haven't looked too closely at the pictures of the dock, but I'm mm. guessing, yeah, there, there's a there's got to be a USB port back there. So um, otherwise, <laughs> this this peripheral has nothing to plug into. Exactly, so. and this is officially supported and licensed. Right. So the thirty dollar <clears> peripheral <throat> US, and you can theoretically buy any USB to Ethernet mm-hmm. adapter that works. Uh, plugs into I think we think the dock of Nintendo Switch and it allows up to eight people or ten people. Is that ten? Mm-hmm. Let's say is it ten? Ten? Yeah, ten dock systems can play, and you don't need to sign in or connect to internet to authenticate your user as long as you have the cartridge. Yeah, that's great. You can play uh, Splatoon is the only game looks like supported, but Mario Kart will have to, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the thing. You could each get your own TV screen, right, with with the networked mm-hmm. uh, Mario Kart. So, Yeah, I wonder if it's going to allow people to put for... cardboard on the TV. Did you ever do that with, like, GoldenEye? I and did. I've seen photos. Or Halo, where yeah, you where you, where you split off the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Mario Kart really doesn't... I guess if you're playing um, against someone... In you see what power-up they have. You see, right? yeah, that's, yeah, that's the thing. Or where they are. And with yeah. battle mode. With right. The new, oh, battle mode yeah. coming back? Yeah, you can't yeah. do that split screen. Yeah. Come on. So you're going to need your own Switch. Right. I was hoping for you know, two people to play. Well, with Double Dash, it was team. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think that's going to be, I mean, it's going to offer future opportunities. Right. I'd love for there to be team, if they're going to promote esports, team esports, you know, two player, some type of racing game, some type of Mario game. Um, where you have like eight people playing in teams of two mm-hmm. would, be, would be awesome. Yeah. I mean, this is like only going to apply to a very small number of people, but the people that it does apply to is really exciting news. So good for them. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit uh, more moving on to um, pl- Sony and PlayStation. <laughs> it's all games. Sorry, that's all me. Games and console news. Right. Out. New update to PlayStation, uh, PlayStation Now. Yeah. So uh, PlayStation Now is going away on some older devices. Yeah, they, they've been kind of telegraphing this a little bit by not talking about it. But um, for those of you who don't know, PlayStation Now is where you can uh, stream games to uh, different systems in like Blu-ray players and TVs. It, I think it's what the Gaikai technology was, right? So they bought Gaikai. Yeah. And this was like on live where yeah. uh, the game is actually being rendered offsite. Mm-hmm. And as long as like back when they announced it, internet infrastructure was good but not great. Now it's a little better, still not great. Uh, but they would compress the image and promise a little latency, 
uh, and you could rent games or right. pay for a subscription to play like a buffet of games. It was expensive. I was like, well, it still is expensive. I think it's like 20 bucks a month or something. Uh, but yeah, what they said with the new service update is they're actually removing a bunch of supported systems, um, including the PlayStation three, which is kind of crazy. Uh, I mean, you would figure that that's got that installed base, but you know, it, it is what it is, but also, you know, the Vita, which not a surprise, um, some of their TVs that had this and Blu-ray players. Uh, and they said they're going to focus on PS4 and Windows PCs. Um, so this is, forward. this is strange to me because there's no difference in performance for a game because it's just video and yeah, input. I, so if they were getting rid of PlayStation Now completely because it wasn't doing well, I get them just phasing it out completely. But right. if they're still supporting it on PS4 then what's the difference of just spinning up more servers to run the games for the other t other devices? This might be something related to the arch the way the system is architected. I mean, this is kind of like why you couldn't change your PlayStation name forever um, is because maybe the way it was designed and, and what was used as the key or whatever uh, made it very difficult for them to be able to, to support multiple things. So there, maybe there is some kind of infrastructure thing or because in the announcement, they said they want to, you know, focus the experience on PlayStation 4 and Windows PCs, which leads me to believe if they wanted to continue supporting PS3, then they would have had to make some kind of compromise that or the other thought is maybe it's headcount, right? Mm. Where they, um, they don't have enough people to support those other platforms. So it's like, okay, who's going to do the PS3 client or the Vita client? It's like, we don't have enough people to do that. So let's just punt it. And I, I've always been interested in how those things are uh, run in the back end on for a service like OnLive, because that was only for PC games, which right. can then run on their console and on other consoles. Um, they would have, the developer would have to add a layer of programming on top to make it work with interfaces when you can't access things like the menu right. and have time limits for gameplay. Uh, but for consoles, um, is it running on developer hardware? Like, what what are the actual systems? Yeah, it's not it's not a you know a warehouse full of PS3s and PS4s running that streaming video. It's running on server hardware. So mm -hmm. is it emulated? Probably it development hardware, right? Yeah, some some sort of like headless system, right? Mm. Um, that just kind of bare minimum what you need to run it. But who knows? I, I don't think they've ever talked about exactly what the architecture looks like behind it, and it's. Something that, you know, we'll try to dive into as, as part of, uh, you know, documenting history. All right. From games to phones. And uh, sorry, Jeremy isn't here to talk about some <laughs> Apple news. Uh, but is it, when is it too early? Is it, any, is it, is it ever not too early to talk about rumors for the fall iPhone? Oh, geez. Yeah. No, what, it's what, not. I mean, people were talking about the, the eight before the seven even came out. So, that's right. So the latest rumor for the 8 uh, is that wireless charging will be the big flagship feature across maybe all of the tiers of the iPhone 8. They're not going to segment it between the, the, the cheap version and the, and the super expensive, the expensive version and the more expensive version. Uh, and part of what's fueling that rumor is Apple joining the wireless power consortium. So this right. is uh, kind of like Apple adopting USB. Um, it's, it's a common standard, the, the cheese standard. And uh, there's one of over 200 members of the consortium working to develop wireless charging. Mm -hmm. um, and if that, I mean, regardless of whether they, their devices, phones, tablets, laptops get wireless charging in the future, it's good that they're 
not developing their own standard and right. their devices can potentially work with other standards. Yeah, well, there was rumors they were waiting for some sort of like wide field. I think we even talked about this on the podcast I was in where you don't really need to be like inductive charging where you don't need to be right on it. It just sort of charges from the air. Um, I mean, this my, my theory is this is getting them closer to the iPhone with no port on it, right? Um, they already kind of got rid of the headphone jack and now it's like, can we get rid of lightning to where you can just sort of set it? The other concern is maybe it's like a battery life issue, right? Mm. Where, um, all right, you know, these charging pads are in Starbucks and everything else. And, and maybe the new phone has to make some kind of compromise on battery life. And we need to find a way to get people to charge it more easily. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just throwing out random ideas. It's a large investment. I think the biggest thing is the infrastructure for the charge. One, the standards. Absolutely. If the standards start changing quickly and the right. research starts changing quickly, then, you know, the power mats of today are going to be outdated by tomorrow when a new type of wireless charging technology comes out. It's almost the same problem that on a different scale, a different cost scale um, that Tesla has with and, and other EV manufacturers have with cars. Right. Um, and I, I absolutely see the benefit of uh, wireless charging um, if there is the infrastructure in place. The power mats being in Starbucks is okay mm-hmm. um, because they, they made it work by giving you those adapter rings, right? right? So you don't, you, you don't have to put your phone uh, in a case to charge it. You plug into an adapter as a ring, and basically you can have it there. It keeps you in the Starbucks, keeps you buying coffee, and you can charge. Yeah, that kind of works. You're still working with an adapter. They built it into the table, so that's the mm-hmm. infrastructure investment, right? It's not a mat that you put, like a cutting mat on top of the table. Right. It was flush with the table. How is Apple going to get, unless they're making a car, if they make a car, <laughs> and that makes like total the, sense, the to set it on, like on every, top. every surface on the dashboard is a charging surface or something, right? right. Or within the field of the car or where you normally put your cup holders, right. that's a charging surface. Uh, that makes sense. But where are the places Apple can, can get you to put your phone outside of you having to buy a separate charging mat, charging platform, accessory that still has to be plugged into the wall, right? Right. They're not selling coffee tables. They're not selling side tables. Like, what are they like? It's still going to be. This is how rumors accessory. get started, right? <laughs> it's like the Apple furniture line or Johnny, something like that. Johnny Ive really he hates designing phones. He hates right. it so yeah. much. He wants to move. He, to designing apps. he wants to design furniture. He wants to design cars. And maybe this is the chance. Yeah, I, I, I really, I think maybe this part of this is like hedging your bets, right? It's like, okay, if if this like other wireless charging solution we're looking at is maybe taking too long and we need to have another box to check for the next launch. Like let's add it in there and then see where it goes. But I mean, it, it looks like, like my thought is like, they're just trying to kill a port and it won't happen maybe this cycle, but maybe in a couple, who knows? I absolutely believe I, I'm with you there that mm-hmm. that's something that they, they, they want to kill the port for every device right? for laptops, for their phones and for their tablets. And maybe it's going to require them selling some type of mat that you put your laptop on and your phone on and your tablet on that can be in different sizes. That's a really bad design decision. That's why I'm not designing this thing. <laughs> but uh, the Apple side table, let's start the rumor here. That's not, I can imagine the the $10,000 Apple side table right. being a real thing designed by Johnny Ive. Right. Like they're all about the high end. Yeah. It's all about those those rich people who want the, the, uh, the black mirror house. Right, right. right. Um, but one place that would definitely have an Apple side table and wireless charging table would be the Apple Cafe. Now, what is the Apple Cafe, you ask? It's not a real thing right now, but it could have very well have been a real thing. Um, 
Fastco, Fast Company Design, has a story about the concept that back in 1996, right, before the return of Steve Jobs, he was still part time, right? This was like the next thing was he going was still on? next, yeah, yeah. yeah. He wasn't yeah. even. In, I don't think he was interim um, CEO. Okay, even then, right. um, Apple was contemplating some type of retail presence. Of course, they have the retail presence. The hugely successful Apple stores are a big thing in the world. Um, but an Apple cafe hmm. um, where they hired uh, Imagineer, Imagineer, a Tony Christopher, Landmark Entertainment Group. Landmark, of course, uh, makes theater chains right. um, and a lot of um, uh, rides, theme park rides. But they shared some con- concept art for what looks very much like a 1990s theme park, like Apple Land at Universal Studios. I I I looked at it and thought this is uh, the cafe 80s from Back to the Future, like yeah. maybe aged up just a little bit. And right. it, it just, there's so like many 90s. Internet. Yeah, at your table. Uh, at, your, at your lunch table. Right. And then like the graphics is sort of like that Corel Draw clip art mm-hmm. selection mm-hmm. Um, and just like text that's kind of like, bent along with the whatever banner it's on and um yeah it's pretty funny looking but i kind of really wish they did this even if it was a failure just i mean just to have it as the relic of in computing history it would look it would probably look dated as they were building it i think just given like you know 96 97 like all the things that were changing uh i I just one actually what this reminded me of was uh, a couple years later nolan bushnell which uh, founded atari and created jesus and chunky cheese right created a u-wink um and there was one in mountain view and u-wink was kind of like this uh it was games where you play, you know, at the table, but you ordered all your food via this touchscreen as well. Um, and the food was terrible and the games were bad. So, um, which is, I mean, Chuck E. Cheese at least had good games. So, uh, but that, that failed pretty quickly. It's kind of like an upscaled, like Dave and Buster's, uh, but you had, you didn't talk to anybody, right? You just did everything through this tablet. So I think um, that's what I thought of when I looked at this. But yeah, when you see the images, you're just like, wow, this, this is like a nineties time capsule. And, and, you know, I, it would have been one of those funny things that like they would have to freeze it like that and never make any updates. Yep. Um, because then it would like go through cycles of like, haha, that place is so ghetto. And then it would like coming back. That it's place like, oh, is the cool place. Yeah, to hang that out is the now. cool place. You know, it's like, yeah. it, like the, the Futurama. It's like, did mm-hmm. you say rings are cool? <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, no, rings are lame. So, well, speaking of projects that Apple is diving itself into that maybe. Uh, maybe successes or failures, uh, they've announced for a while that content is something that uh, they've been interested in. Mm-hmm. And they, I guess they do produce content. If you think about Apple, their streaming uh, radio station, right. Apple One, which they, they hire DJs and they make content. But video content, um, they have a, a new show. It's a reality right. show called Planet of the Apps. And the first trailer just came out. It was, it's been, it was Eddie Q um, in partnership with Will I Am, And it's a show competition show yeah like Gwyneth Paltrow's on it and uh who else uh someone else I don't know half of these people (laughs) okay um it looks terrible you know it it looks terrible I think uh the thing that that went in my mind especially as someone who was an app developer like the biggest problem people have right now is discovery right it's like how do people know that my app exists if this gets any remote amount of traction I mean it's good for them um because People will be aware of, of this thing in the app store, even if they don't win, right? You'll have that feature. And, but it's uh, taking that Shark Tank, 
yeah. The Voice competition. Oh, like I am the, the pitch authority. is hilarious. Did like, you see that? Uh, the the, the, the way they pitch the yeah. uh, the apps. Yeah, they actually have to stand. It's like a literal escalator pitch where the escalator is going down, and they start at the top, and then as they're coming down the escalator, that's the t- amount of time they have for their pitch. So, <laughs> oh my god. Well, yeah, I, the, actually, when I first saw this, I thought it was going to sort of happen over the course of the season. It sounds like they've already filmed it. Um, but I was like, you know, copycats are going to be like, they're going to hear the pitch and someone's going to load up <laughs> their computer and, and put and that's it, like, the big problem with yeah, Discovery put out a copycat. is copycats. Yeah, I mean, right. Like, yeah, you might have a great idea. Wendell Paltrow might tell you you have a great app idea. Right. But guess what? 50 in the time that episode aired free show 50. I mean, Apps have come out right. to duplicate those functionalities. Exactly. Um, and it really, it, I don't think, it, I, 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 there's, there's so many bad reasons, reasons that this show shouldn't exist. Like, right. what is the point? It, is it supposed to glamorize the Apple App Store, make app developers celebrities, show the uh, show how much work goes into making an app? What is the point of the show? What is the utility? Other than, like you said, discovery right. for new ideas, uh, but we're at a point where the app store is mature. If this show came out five years ago mm-hmm. when with new hardware was coming out, like are they going to pair it where season two is going to be like Apple's n- new form factor and you got to make a new iPad Pro 2 app like as a way to show off hardware? Like, I think there's a morbid curiosity. Like Living in the Bay Area and being surrounded by technology, we understand kind of the app ecosystem and everything else. I think there's a there's a wide uh, like audience that just sees like someone made a nap and they became a billionaire. Like, I think I could do that. And so they see this like elevator pitch where it's got like, I think we should deliver quarters for people to do laundry over the internet or this app. And they're like, I could have done that. So you know, there's probably some of that. There's like, they, they, they have these like outtakes of the, um, whatever consultant or expert telling them, you got to think about marketing and user acquisition and all this other stuff. So it's maybe giving sort of a peek uh, into what is the, like a very like stylized peek into what it's like to be an app developer. The other funny thing is the the grand prize um, is a ten million dollar investment from Lightspeed Ventures, who uh, famously invested in Snapchat early on. So that's mm. probably their biggest win. They're normally like enterprise, um, but I want to see that term sheet. That's got to be the worst term sheet ever. Well, it's uh, just like Shark Tank. Like right. well, oh, anything yeah, yeah. that they <laughs> offer, if you know anything, if you're any type of startup, there's no reason to take any of those yeah, offers like, if oh. you have any good idea. You only take it because you know you don't have a great idea and you want the easy money now. Right. And, and then you wonder, it's like, why would it Lightspeed invest $10 million? It's like, well, they might have more people coming to them with ideas. If, you know, $10 million, it, they maybe think like the show is basically the user acquisition budget, right? It's like you would have spent this on trying to market this app mm-hmm. or, yep. you know, whatever. And, you know, that that's this kind of, or that or it's all just, you know, Honestly, why not the, throw the, it at them? They're going to be billionaires anyway. Snap's going public soon. Yeah, the, the best thing they could do for a real app developer, it's really this kind of garage app developer, mm-hmm. you know, college student, young person making an app, like placement in the app store is the best thing Apple can provide. Um, you know, in the carousel for right. for a week to tie into the show or something, right? Like that's that's invaluable, and that actually gets people using it and testing it rather than just investment. Which yeah, sounds great. That's a very Silicon Valley type of thing to propose. It, it feels like a joke out of the show, Silicon Valley, <laughs> like more than the legit <laughs> Maybe, thing. I mean, you think the right like there because like reality shows, right? They, there's a parts that's like 
quote unquote scripted in like how you edit things, right? So I wonder how much of that is going to come into play. The producers, uh, yeah, yeah. They, and see like what happens in the production. It's like, hey, when you're looking at this camera, can you do this or like splicing together interviews oh, or whatever they God, do? Professionals, so professionals, app developer professionals. The last, <laughs> yeah, it's go to media. Maybe that's the those. app, the, like a confessional app. Why don't we, you want to get on the escalator? Uh, no, Whoa. I don't want to get on, no, 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 I, I'm, I'm hopping off the escalator. Right. I think the bigger story is Apple making content. Right. And uh, Apple TV, no surprise, I don't, I think it's still a hobby for Apple. Yeah, they have a new Apple TV. I think the remote's terrible. We talked last week about the game. When you, a new uh, leader running that department, who used to work at Amazon Fire. Um, but the thing that would have made, that would have made Apple TV the iPod level and iPhone level success is if they own the content channels as well. Right. Because the things they couldn't do with Apple TV was broker the deals. One, maybe because it was about Steve Jobs or maybe because people wised up to the Apple way of doing things. Right. That they well, yeah, they saw to see what happened in the music industry, right? Exactly, and exactly. So like, we're not going to fall into that trap. And so the way, and, and so Stars, HBO, um, Hulu, Netflix, of course, they, they've invested in the content. They've built these giant networks that Apple really has to cater to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Apple can, they can say no to Amazon and they can say, we're going to put Amazon Prime, Amazon now. Yeah, you can't get Amazon paid produced shows on your Apple TV, um, but you have, they have to have Netflix. And so I think Apple's late to the game here. The thing they should have done, and there was an interesting um, discussion about this um, on, uh, on Forbes, is that Apple should have really bought Netflix Years ago, mm. uh, there was an opportunity. I think uh, in twenty, I want to say twenty fourteen, to buy Netflix for like sixty billion dollars when they were valued at like thirty billion, which right. is an insane amount of money, right? right? Um, but if they want to really own the TV market, imagine uh, there was an opportunity back in as early as twenty twelve for them to buy Netflix for for Beats kind of money, five mm-hmm. billion dollars. And if Apple had bought a Netflix back then for five billion for five Instagrams, right? Uh, I think Apple TV would be much bigger, a much bigger deal than it is now. Well, I think the other question, though, is um, would the team that Apple would have put in place if they bought it at that point be able to execute the way that Netflix has ex- executed since then? Well, right? I would argue that that, that, that type of execution, mm-hmm. heavily investing on your own content, mm-hmm. everyone's doing it now, Hulu, mm-hmm. Amazon, Netflix, uh, Crackle, everyone's doing it, uh, that's... That's the way it would have gone through mm-hmm. naturally. Okay. Uh, yeah, Netflix was the first. And I remember right. it being such a big deal. Uh, Orange New Black, House of Cards. Like they're spending money. how much money, right? How much yeah. money. It wasn't just like um, pre- like premium shows that competed on the network show level. is competing right. on the HBO level. They're right. playing. The, but the HBO, HBO, doing that, been, HBO had been doing that forever. Right. And so I think that was the natural progression with, with post-writer strike mm-hmm. um, for the the quote unquote golden age of television, that was where entertainment was moving mm-hmm. with private, with outside of as inner, as infrastructure, broadband infrastructure, distribution channels become more democratized. Mm-hmm. Uh, capitalism would have done its thing. Okay. Yeah. But Apple missed out. I think clearly right. missed out on that. Um, I just, I wonder how many people are going to watch this show. Like how is it going to get promoted? Um, you know, how is Apple going to use its own infrastructure to promote this show? I'm sure if I have an Apple TV, it's going to be the, well, I do have an Apple TV, but it'll be like the first thing that's showing up there for a week or longer. Right. But who knows? I would, and you know, maybe it's not too late. I would love to see Apple. Maybe they don't want to really get into the content game as seriously as Mm -hmm. HBO, but I think it'd be cool if they said, 
Like they have, they clearly have the money. Yeah. Well, they have to. So the thing is like, there's, there's always misses, right? Whenever you're making these investments and if they're only doing a couple, then, you know, if they have a miss and then someone looks at a, a line, a budget sheet and is like, oh, we wasted money on that. It's like, no, that's part of doing this type of business. You're going to have stuff that doesn't hit, right? Like young Pope or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so we'll see. And tying it to hardware, like it was the mistake. It was the great thing Netflix did because Net- Roku spun out of uh, Netflix not wanting to make hardware. Right. And not wanting to, the smart thing for Netflix as they move from mailing discs out to uh, getting licensing deals then to making their own content mm-hmm. was to make their app everywhere. Right. Um, Even on the Wii, right? That was like one of the big reasons people use the Wii yeah. was that Netflix disc. So maybe the idea of Apple locked content locked on Apple hardware, hardware locked content, isn't that appealing? Uh, and it definitely wouldn't work for any other company, but if it were to work for one company, it would be Apple. Right. Because you have Apple TV. Everyone has, you know, not everyone, but a ton of people, millions of people, hundreds of million people have Apple devices. Uh, they have content locked hardware. Mm-hmm. On Apple live streams. Oh, yeah, where you have to use Safari. You have to, to use watch it. Safari. Yeah, but I mean, that's us, right? I mean, yes, we want to watch the press conference. I don't think but I'm saying it can, it can work, right? Mm-hmm. right? Like they, they make that type of content. And if they invested, you know, I'm just throwing out Netflix, HBO levels of money, $500 million, half mm-hmm. a billion dollars to, which is, cr- again, crazy amounts of money. But not for to, Apple. But not for Apple. Right. To make Hollywood series, exclusive series, um, the next House of Cards, the next um, Man in the High Castle, the next uh, uh, miniseries, and took it seriously and locked it to their hardware, would that be a compelling way to get people on Apple TV over, over, um, you know, over the Roku, over over other boxes and make Apple TV a real business. Right. I mean, they, they want to get more people in the ecosystem, but you don't really buy a whole lot of apps on the Apple, Apple TV. Yeah. So, I mean, but if like, you bought the Apple TV and you get, and it's, you get the hardware, right. or you get the content. Um, and maybe they have to charge them the monthly subscription or yeah. something. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> well, something <sighs> that's coming back in the Apple ecosystem is and all self smartphones. I never lost data. mine. Whatever. I mean, I never lost mine either. Yeah. But are I'm you still a, on the grandfathered plan? I'm on. Oh, okay. I am on the AT and T grandfathered plan for data. So am I. So are you? You yeah, know what? Yeah. I'm thinking of switching. Oh man. Because it's expensive. Okay. Uh, it, they, it has just gotten raised, more expensive. They've yeah, raised the price recently. Another and, five dollars. What? Yeah. And yeah. and unlimited data, of course, is never really unlimited data. Both AT and T and now Verizon, Sprint, T Mobile have caps really at 22 gigabytes. I don't think, uh, actually, I think Sprint is the only one who doesn't do it, mm-hmm. but AT&T and Verizon at 22 gigabytes, they throw all your, your downloads. Verizon is bringing back unlimited 4G LTE data with tethering. Right. That may be the big differentiator. Uh, yeah. And the prices, I think, is lower than AT&T. So what, like 80 bucks or something? 80 bucks a month, mm-hmm. and you get unlimited talk text, uh, which you don't get with the grandfather AT&T plan. Oh, so that's $80 all in. I thought. I thought that was just the data plan. Oh, hold on. Yeah. So, no, it includes, yeah. Okay. Verizon Limited includes text, talk, and 4G LTE data, $80 a month for single smartphone or tablet. Okay. And that includes tethering too? And includes 10 gigabytes of tethering. Okay. And so 22 gigabytes a uh, month of four unthrottled LTE, right. of which 10 gigabytes you can use for tethering, hmm. which AT&T still doesn't do tethering for its unlimited. Mm-hmm. That's cheaper than what I'm paying for right now. Do you tether a lot? 
I do an Android I sw- phone. phone. Yeah, I yeah. switch it for tethering. Right. Um, and I use up to twenty. I use seventeen, eighteen gigs a month. <laughs> oh my gosh, I, I've never even come close to that. But I, of course, I'm not you. So <laughs> I, I find. I mean. But the thing is that once I, if I switch to Verizon, my coverage might not be as good. Right. And my data, like I use AT&T so much because my coverage where I live is so good that it's faster in many places. Maybe not now that I have Sonic, but faster in, in many places my Wi-Fi can't reach right. to use LTE over, um, over Wi-Fi. Uh, well, you'll just have to invite someone over that has uh, you know, one Verizon. of these plans and have them roam around the house. And I think I, I might have told this real quick uh, random story. Uh, I was in Manhattan and I was looking at apartments and this was like that Futurama, the like suspiciously cheap apartment yeah. uh, by the West side. Who died here. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's like, is there's a body in the walls? What's happening? And then they're like, Oh no, it's, you know, pretty good. And it's like maybe 20% less than I expected. But then I looked at my phone and I had no service. And then I, I said to the realtor, I'm like, um, I don't have any service. She's like, yeah, that's a kind of a problem they're working on. They're like, that's why this is cheaper. Your cell phone doesn't work in this apartment. Well, it must be so. great for someone who doesn't care about cell phone yeah, service. Yeah, exactly. Get, get or, a deal. Or, or they don't look at their, that's going to be a thing. Someone's going to rent it and not look at their phone. And I'm like, oh, wait, I have no cell service now. Yeah. Uh, something else coming back in the world of smartphones. Now, Mobile World Congress is coming up. Or not even smartphones. <laughs> cell phones. phones. Nokia 33. 10 may be coming back. That ringtone, I, I can still hear it. I'm hearing it right now. And now, <laughs> right now I'm in, now, now, I'm, so this is like sorry. Inception. I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in everybody else's head, that Nokia ringtone. Yeah, VentureBeat is saying that um, HMD, which I guess they, uh, HMD is the new home of Nokia. It's like they, Nokia they own, engineers, right? It's the hardware part. Microsoft bought the software. Right. Uh, HMD um, is may release a $60 phone, which is the Nokia 3310, which is, it sold, I think, is maybe the third best-selling cell phone ever made. Have they said it's the actual 3310? Or is, there, is it running a different OS? I mean, I can't imagine, like, that's like that, what, the it must be John's phone, right? Where yeah. it's like the paper, it has to have something different, right? This, yeah. Because that's 60 I don't bucks. think they kept the molds or kept the, you know, well, kept I'm the injection. Well, I'm sure they, they might have them. <laughs> kept the, they, they got the, we got these injection molds. Well, it's it, we've been using, we've milked. Made 200 million phones. Thousands of Chinese more. companies have molds for the faceplates. So, right, yeah. yeah. The, the, or maybe that, they just found a, a batch. They found a warehouse. Right. Full of phones. It's got to update this, the firmware. I mean, this is emerging market, right? Like the play. I think it's both emerging market. Emerging market, $60 is too much. Emerging market, right. it's That's true. you're talking about $10, $15 phones. This is clearly playing on nostalgia factor and also <laughs> playing on durability, reliability right. and durability. Right. This is this is your burger phone. This is... Right. This is um, I, did you ever thirty three ten? You you had one? I one? had the. Uh, there were so many variants. Right, I couldn't right, name right. all of them. I had the the thinner one, the eighty, the eighty eight ten. I want to say, uh, no no no, that was the Matrix phone. Right. That was that was the oh the the, the flip bottom the, one the flip yeah, bottom yeah. one yeah like when, when that that was, that scene in the Matrix where Neo presses the button and it flips open right. That was the original like gadget porn of the the nineties. Right. Like. Wow, I want that cell phone. Uh, in terms of the most notorious, right, it's the N-Gage, uh, which I'm sure they're not bringing back. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this is, it's going to be funny, right? If, if the hipster thing to do is to buy an old candy bar phone um, and then put on some like garish faceplate with like something on it. I don't know, like a smash mouth faceplate or something. <laughs> if it doesn't come with snake, no buy. Oh, it ha- I mean, it will come with snake. If, if they don't, then then... 
that's it's totally big worthless. mistake. Yeah, big huge mistake. Huge thing. If, if and then default ringtone and snake, mm-hmm. and then you're that's enough. Have, takes yeah. a long time to load. You see the uh, the loading screen, Nokia, right? Comes right. on. Yeah, yeah. You see the bars on the left and the right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you only store 200, 200 contacts on I, this phone. I'm, I, I just, I, I don't understand this, but I'm, hey, more power to them if they want to re-release a phone. Uh, maybe it's time. I mean, uh, they, maybe they looked at like the NES Classic and like, oh, what can we do to tap into that nostalgia? <laughs> Here's an old phone that does phone calls. You can only call 30 people. Yeah, T9. Oh, people are going to have to learn how to text with the keypad. Do yeah. people even know how to do that anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right, let's jump to our next section, the VR Minute. Oh, that's not the that's sound not. of that. That's... The VR Minute. Virtual reality this week. All right, uh, a bunch of stuff happening um, in virtual reality. First of all, uh, we hear you guys. Uh, Jeremy and I are going to be talking about this more, but... Um, there have been, you, you have an Oculus, right? You have yeah, an Oculus? And yeah. A, uh, there have been widespread reports. A lot of people have had tracking issues with their Oculus Rift. I haven't. I haven't either. We, this actually came up in, in the other podcast where, yeah, um, I, I had actually not even heard of this. Uh, and then, but there, there is definitely, there are definitely people having this problem. And people have now been able to show that. So th- what they're calling is the tracking is the guardian shift. Uh, there's a video um, of the guardian shift over time shifting where, where it, it thinks you are. Mm. So relative positioning where you are now, it's, it's still fine but over time where it thinks you are relative to where it thought you were in the beginning mm-hmm. is, is, uh, mismatched. Uh, that's been captured on video and, uh, Brendan Areeb, who, um, former CEO of Oculus. It was um, $150 million. Yeah. He, right. <laughs> he, uh, commented, finally made a public statement in okay. the, uh, R, the Reddit R slash Oculus, um, forum thread uh, saying that they're working on core software improvements that should hopefully address these issues. That's an acknowledgement of the issues Mm -hmm. and it's a huge priority for their next uh, releases, including uh, one version 1.12, which will ship in February. Right. Um, So I bet this is a case where it probably didn't affect the vast majority of people. If it did, I think they, they would have talked about it much sooner, Right. but uh, it probably wasn't an easy problem to solve. And so making any statement acknowledging that doesn't do anything if you're already putting your top men on it. Right. Um, I think they were probably waiting until they knew when they could say they would be able to solve it and when. And here they're saying next patch, end of the month, it's something they're addressing. Yeah, I think that's probably one of the, the, the biggest case, right? They couldn't duplicate it or they couldn't duplicate it reliably. Um, so when whenever that's the problem, then engineers are not quite sure where to attack. And then I think people are saying like, oh, just send up um, you know, your PC hardware configuration. But then there's things like the room and all kinds of other stuff that might be affecting it. Uh, but hopefully, uh, yeah, hopefully they get this solved because that, that would really suck. I would be really pissed if that was the case with my Oculus. Yeah. Um, I want to ask you about more about your VR, uh, your VR experiences in Japan, your VR okay. park experiences. Sure. Um, as I was listening to you guys talk about it in the podcast when you were a guest with Jeremy and Kishore, I had so many questions. <laughs> so it's running through. You were in Japan and in Japan they have VR parks. Yeah. So there's two main ones. One's in, uh, by Shinjuku Station, uh, at, or uh, sorry, uh, Shibuya. And then the other is in Odaiba. So they're, um, I, they're different. They're run by different companies. I went to the one um, by, by Shibuya. So uh, what you do is... You go in and you pay admission for time. 
Um, and I think I, I bought the cheaper one because I, I didn't think I was going to spend, you know, an hour or two in there. Um, how much, how long is the cheaper one? Uh, it, I think it was, I want to say it was like about 20 bucks for about half hour to 45 minutes, something okay. like that. Um, right. and what it, it's, it's really kind of odd because they, they've cornered it off into these different, um, zones, right? So there's a bunch of different games. I, I want to say there was like maybe six or eight of them. Each in their own rooms or just corners of the, or big, it, big corners room. of like a big area, right? And some of them, you know, you had to go in inside. Uh, but the weird part about it was like, there was one I did, which was like a baseball thing where you had, you held the vibe controller, like a baseball bat, mm. which was pretty awkward, quite frankly. But the, um, but they the, were using vibes. They yeah, they were using yeah, consumer yeah. hardware. Yeah, they were using consumer hardware, and then they gave you this like paper mask yep, that you put the on. Gasket, and, yeah. Yeah, and so you they buy had ten packs, hundred packs of those. Right. Yeah. So and then they had like an attendant who was sitting at the PC and also held the the cord for you, so you wouldn't trip over the cord. Um, and the funny thing was that they were like stylized to the game, which makes no sense because you're actually putting on the headset and you're not going to see any of it. So when you walked into the baseball thing, it was like this meaning like baseball diamond. That you walked into, okay, and maybe it's like maybe put you in the mindset that you were but playing. But it wasn't one to one with what you saw. In no, the game. no, it was just themed. It was just themed that way, right? Okay. Sort of like a, a backdrop. Um, and so yeah, there was that game. There was one. That, these are all original titles, and they're not available, um, as far as I know, in any um, one area. I forget what one of the companies, but the other company uh, that's helping develop these games is Gree, which is. Uh, uh, for disclosure, is a company I used to work for um, a couple of years ago. So um, they there's that. There was this one where it was like uh, you were standing on the edge of a high rise, and there were it was kind of like a almost like King Kong things were like flying at you, and you were shooting them down. Uh, but that was the one that that you know you look down, and I can only stand on certain areas where I'll fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the the co op game I was talking about was a couch co op. So you have four people on the couch, and it was kind of like it's Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, it, it was Ghostbusters. Like they, they, I forget what they call like haunted house or something, but it, they, it was literally it was Slimer coming at you, right? Um, and <laughs> when you were holding, and you were holding controller, were they mounted on like PVC pipe? No. Like, it, so you, all, every game, I, I didn't have any sort of like Wii Mote type like tennis racket thing yeah. on it. I was just holding the the Vive controller, um, and it was it was like a proton pack. Right, like I was shooting out like this, you know. Electricity. Wait, so what you're physically holding though is just oh, the controller. I, I, yeah, the controller in the game. In I'm the sorry. game, yeah, so they the didn't game. they didn't adapt the controller to no. any accessory. No, any yeah. Okay, so this it. is this is all uh, as far as I could tell, all consumer hardware and, and like their own custom games. Um, I think the big thing is obviously Japanese apartments really tiny, um, mm. so this is not something you're going to have in your house. Yeah, uh, and so uh, it, it was an interesting way of getting people um, exposure to the VR world. And, and there was a, uh, one thing I saw was actually a lot of couples, which, uh, is, uh, most of the games were two player if you wanted to. Um, and then the couch co-op, it was like, they had three people and then I got thrown in with that group. And I, like I said, I felt really bad for that group because you did have to sort of coordinate mm. and, and I was not that good at it, but, um, well, it's yeah. like there's an asymmetrical VR experience with PSVR where you are ghost busting and then people, right. t- um, tell you the people who aren't in the VR headset tell you where to look. Yeah, there was, yeah, there was none of that. This was, uh, and, and yeah, the attendant was, the attendants were there, kind of gave you a quick overview and then yeah. you walked in. Um, it's prominent on the sidewalk. I mean, there's a big sign that says VR park. You have to go mm. the, the stairs. Um, and even in the one in Odaiba, um, like outside there's like standees and everything. So they were definitely trying to push it. Um, when I was there, it was pretty busy. Um, like I said, it's kind of expensive. 
uh, for Japan, for, for twenty like, bucks for half an hour. Yeah, it's it's so expensive for any yeah. any type of experience. It, it is high end arcade experience akin to the virtuality VR headset things that you paid five bucks for. You know, I guess it was four or five bucks for five ten minutes in right um, back in the nineties. Yeah, um, it's the modern day equivalent of that. But you're right, space like what they can bring to it is. Like the investment in space. Yeah, it was the space, and and quite frankly, um, having someone there holding the cord for oh, you uh, was was one of the yeah. Because I, I mean, normally when we're playing, we're kind of wrapping our our, our legs around, and, and we're getting tripped up, or at least I am. Uh, and this was one of those cases where Craigslist job offering. Yeah, I, I will go to your house and hold <laughs> your like a VR task cord rabbit, right. for you while you play Space Pirate Trainer. Oh, I know someone who who put a hook yeah. actually up yeah. in the ceiling, but it, it uh, helps. Yeah, uh, but they. Uh, it it was very much like how can we easily get you into this yeah. uh, and uh, expose and you know there was a, a someone as soon as you took off the headset they would like be cleaning it yeah. and then getting ready for the next person. Sure, um, games were very simple. I mean, this was kind of like the Wii Sports mm. of um, of VR. But that's the thing that's a little disappointing to me. Yeah, because it really feels like the demo experience, like going to a convention and it, yeah. getting and waiting in line and here you're paying. But to get to play a short mini game right. and have the demo experience, and that's, uh, I hope we would move beyond that. And I know companies, you know, like like yeah, the but void I mean, is, we've been playing with since like the DK one, right? And yeah, so it's true. I, I think that we Absolutely. were kind of jaded in terms of what we want. I, there were yeah. people coming out of there like really excited about that's what they good, had and done. that's great, right? And so. I think you know uh, we didn't talk about it last week, but uh, I'm glad that's happening in Japan. Like in mm-hmm. the U.S., uh, reports are that Oculus is closing. Uh, down many the vast majority of their kiosks in Best yeah. Buy because there would be times weeks at a time where people wouldn't do there's no one no one doing the demo right would, I, I think at the there's Westfield an embarrassment Mall, that's yeah that's, that's if you it. have if you have a a, a where the enthusiasts know and what you're selling is going to be the next platform mm-hmm. that Mark Zuckerberg said is the next post smartphone post post mobile. Um, the next way you interface with computers and your big flagship product not get used, like that's embarrassing. Yeah. And, and I know it's because it's expensive, um, and maybe there's an awareness problem. They're not doing it. Like, there aren't TV ads for VR right. yet, right? Um, at the Westfield Mall in San Francisco, mm-hmm. at the Microsoft store, store they have right. they have that, and and I always see lines for that. Um, I think it's it's also a cultural thing. VR. Yeah, there are a lot of Best Buys around the country, but VR really is a high-end. It's an expensive hobby to get into. I wish we would see more VR parks in the States, things that have custom hardware, um, backpacks, you know, untethered mm-hmm. experiences, not just custom software, but custom hardware. And also with accessories like the Vive Puck, the Vive Tracker coming out uh, this year, um, developing games to really take advantage of accessories. That that baseball game you talked about, mm-hmm. if you use the Vive Tracker, you can put a real baseball bat in, in that and right. track it, and and you can have a really immersive experience. And you don't even need to build in the thing that the Void is doing with the moving walls and like the the 4D-type elements of right. spraying water you and heat. Just having the space. Yeah. Well, isn't there a company that just received an investment where they're actually doing like a, like the rooms and, and they were talking about their technology is actually the, the wireless um, distribution of the signal. I, I can't remember it, but I'm mm. sure someone is like screaming at their at their phone right now. But. Well, TPCast is going to come out this mm-hmm. year and that's a Chinese company that's also wireless transmission. Right. And so you, Assuming you, to, you don't get brain cancer with this like non-FCC thing. Oh, it is. Okay. All right. Yeah. That's fine. It's just battery. You got oh, the strap, and but 
it, it's why when the Void did the Ghostbusters experience, the proton pack, the battery, the computing hardware being something you wear right. ties in the story. Yep. You know, as long as you, if you're playing Indiana Jones, yeah, give the person wearing the VR goggles a satchel, mm-hmm. you know, and you can have the battery in the satchel, right? If you're Jack Bauer, you got the jab of the Jack Pack. Right. Yeah. Right. The, the man bag. Um, build it in the story. Piece of space armor that you can have the battery packs in. Right. I want uh, the typing of the dead, like where you have the Dreamcast on your back and the keyboard in front of you. That's yes, what I want. Yes, the yeah. tracked floating yes. keyboard. VR typing of the dead. Yes. It's going to happen. Yeah. Like the law of infinite monkeys, infinite, it's at some game jam. Yep. That's going to, VR typing of the dead is going to happen and it's going to be a great day. I'm going to, I'm going to sign up right away. Oh they won't, God. they won't, they won't be able to drag me off of it. Yeah. Well, the companies who are investing in <clears throat> physical VR experiences, uh, roller coasters, theme mm-hmm. parks for sure. I still have yet to ride a VR roller coaster. I haven't ridden one either. Um, I, uh, where I grew up in Ohio, there's uh, Cedar Point, which is one of the like biggest roller coaster uh, theme par- or parks. They did one on Iron Dragon, which quite frankly was not a good roller coaster, um, I think last year. And the reports I heard was it makes you really sick. Um, really? Okay. Uh, and so that was just kind of what I heard. I, I, I saw the story you posted where uh, I think they're taking more of like an AR approach to it. Yeah. So at uh, Six Flags, both in LA and outside San Francisco and Vallejo, used to be Marine World, mm-hmm. uh, they have the Gear VR, VR roller coaster rides, which as long as you have the tracking, um, the scripting of the sequence mapped to the ride itself, there's no reason it shouldn't be comfortable mm. and should add to the experience. But now they're adding potentially AR functionality, which would mean uh, you have the pass-through camera, mm-hmm. and so you can see things happening and have some type of interactivity. That's the thing where I feel like you could, would get dizzy because with a pass-through camera, if it's not true AR with um, some type of, you know, where you're seeing the real world and it's just through a lens mm-hmm. here because you're processing the video and there's latency in that video. Oh, uh, right. I, I feel like that could give you some um, uh, some some dizziness. I guess but, it all depends on the latency then, huh? Yeah, so yeah. But I'm really, I'm curious about it. And I, I want to try it. Yeah. yeah. I wonder how many, like, how many, like, gear VRs fly off people's heads during these roller coasters. I guess you see, like, hats and, like, phones and everything, like, every time you're... It, it must be... Like a chin tank. strap or something, or I, don't I wonder know. how many like batteries run out or things, oh, yeah. things pop out, you know, mid ride, <laughs> and you're just like nothing but a black screen, right? Like, oh, like, oh it's great. Oh, okay, it's like a giant abyss. tunnel. Yeah, exactly. Um, have you tried a uh, Dear Angelica? I have not. So I saw this in the notes, uh, and then I I, I read a, a, a quick article that I stopped reading because it started talking about the experience, and mm. this is definitely something I'm going to do uh, as soon as I get home. You should absolutely do it as soon as you get home. Yeah. Um, Jeremy's been praising it for a while. I finally got last week's chance to to go through it. It's not very long, right? It's not. It's it's an Oculus Story Studio thing. Uh. So it, this one features the the Quill tool, which is mm-hmm. Oculus's version of um, the like the two D painting tool um, that, uh, that that tilt brush. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's for animation, and it's it's a wonderful story. They do a really good job. It's it, it really. I'm glad they're experimenting because in these kind of different storytelling formats. Uh, in VR, um, I just don't know how it's going to be sustainable. It really feels like bootstrapping the art form so that right. directors and content creators can get inspired. But there is no business model. Like I don't think for how much money they spent and how many people have VR, it's not worth like paying 20 bucks or 10 bucks to view just this five-minute short. Well, that's kind of the problem we have with VR any, in any respect, right? I've been talking to a lot of investors who just say, if you're VR, make sure you have a low burn rate and ready to ride out the next, you know, five years or something before profits really 
you know, take off? Like if Oculus can support these initiatives or maybe there's some like artistic grants, um, you know, for people like pushing the things without an expectation of profitability, uh, more like, you know, what's going to stick. I think that that's going to be more interesting, but. All right. And the last th- uh, piece of news in uh, the VR minute uh, is with AR. So yeah. Magic Leap, which oh, we've man. talked about uh, some of the um, the leaks and rumors coming out of there in terms of where their prototype is, what stage. There's actually a photo of their hardware now. The first public photo of a working Magic Leap prototype, according to Business Insider, right. was released last week. And it's the prototype that's the backpack, the hardware on a back. Yeah, backpack. and it doesn't show you the lens. It doesn't no. show you the headset itself. Um, I guess it does show you that there's something clamped to someone's head. Yeah, it, it doesn't tell me anything either way of like what this means for the for the consumer product. Well, so the the real concern I think with this particular photo getting out, and and um, you'll see it, it. It basically looks like someone strapped a motherboard to someone's back, and and he's holding one of those giant power packs. Was that my understanding is at this point. They were supposed to be at a stage where there was much more portability. I think the original uh, spec was something like two soda cans. Um, and at this point, it'd be like, you'd be like Duffman, right? Because you'd have like 20 of them around your waist mm-hmm. um, to, to support all of this stuff. So, you know, th- there's been a lot of discussion about how far behind they are from functional prototypes. And then, you know, there's other um, legal action that's happening now. I think her name is Tannen Campbell filed a sexual discrimination suit against them. She was brought on to, you know, in, improve the profile and treatment of women at Magic Leap and then filed for sexual discrimination. So that's not a good sign either. Um, you know, from the demos people were saying, except for Beyonce, they were saying it was really impressive, but um, whether they can get it to sort of a shippable consumer product is really the big question. And now some people are saying like HoloLens is ahead of, uh, of, ahead of where they are right now. Wow. Uh, and we haven't seen anything new from Holland since the developer unit was released, the no. $3,000 developer unit. They had that uh, that new mount for the camera, mm. um, so uh, where you can mount like a DSLR or uh, something, or like a GoPro underneath the headset, and it can capture people, like people using the device and what they probably see. Instead yeah. of like that first person, it's almost like a, a third person camera, which I thought was really cool. Like that, I think that's going to... It, even for like marketing videos, when you're trying to sort of sell the it's dream, the mixed reality version right. of AR, yeah, um, analog. Um, Magic Leap CEO did comment on Twitter about this photo mm-hmm. and said the photo isn't what you think it is, <laughs> and says that it's actually an R and D test rig where we collect the room space data for the machine vision, okay. machine learning work. Now, machine vision is hugely important to an AR device because it's not just about the lens system where you can see the real world and have the image imposed in the real world. But the for that to work properly, you need to be able to track the real world, like the yeah. structure sensor, like what HoloLens does. And so maybe this is that equipment where they use to test that. Um, the photo that uh, is released doesn't show any markings. There's no... QR codes in the wall. It just looks like normal carpet in the floor. Right. Um, I wouldn't, there, nothing about this photo says like, even, even with, you know, even if they had something that's, um, that looks like a consumer product, they would still be using, there's no reason not to use things that look right. like internal test. hardware right. for internal testing. Yeah. Uh, so this doesn't tell me anything about Magic Leap. I'm going to wait till 
I mean, we're going to talk about it when when they have something to announce. Right. I mean, yeah. I sound kind of down on it. I mean, that and like Daiquiri had to lay off some people as well. Like, I want them to succeed. I mean, they raised about one point four billion dollars in in uh, in venture uh, capital. So, um, you know, if they succeed and they can do things, then that's great. It'll you know have better penetration and we'll have better experiences. So, uh, you know, hopefully uh, this is all kind of just a bad news cycle for them. All right. And I think that actually does it for us this uh, week. Um, Let me actually uh, give a shout out to uh, our sponsor for this week's episode of This Is Only a Test, and that's Crizol No Glare Lenses. If you wear glasses, you know that sometimes you end up focusing more on what's on your lenses than what's going on around you. Uh, That's why uh, you might want Crizol No Glare Lenses. They are life-tested to provide the most complete protection against glare, scratches, smudges, dust, and water so you don't have to worry about getting your glasses rendered useless after the rainy day or dirty when you take them on and off or getting scratched when you clean them on your shirt. Uh, Crizol no glare lenses stay clear and reduce distracting glare so your friends and family can actually see your eyes, not your glasses. Go to crizol.com, that's C-R-I-Z-A-L.com and start living life in the clear and thank them for sponsoring and bringing you this week's episode. And I want to thank, of course, Steve Lynn here for joining me for this duo cast. Yeah. Thanks for having me. a couple times with Jeremy, but I feel like doing a duo cast with you just as great. Yeah. I enjoyed it. Hopefully you guys did too. Yeah. And thank you out there for listening as well. I believe Jeremy and Kishore will both be back uh, next week and we'll hear about their adventures. But until next time, we do have a intro a raw outro again if you want to contribute an outro that we'll play at the end of the show uh just search tested raw outro sound file take us to take you to our forums we can download the source file do an audio edit take something funny we said or embarrassing that we said um on the podcast and edit it into an outro and this one is made by micro apple and i have not listened to it yet hi there i didn't see you that's it Let's agree on one thing. Butt cracks are very unattractive. I saw Joey's. <laughs> I did. No, I saw it. That's it. That's the perfect example. We'll see you next time.